Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves. And I'm Don Bishop. We're your hosts for Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. On this broadcast, we will be featuring Pat Dorsey, and he'll be answering your most important questions on fly fishing Colorado's South Platte River. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Pat a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Click on the link below the description of the show that says click here to ask Pat your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately, and we'll be trying to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 12 hours after the show ends. If you have to leave early, you can return at the website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Pat Dorsey about how he fishes one of the most challenging rivers in the West, the South Platte. New from the Winston Rod Company for 2007, Boron 2T Rods, new technology, traditional feel. This series combines the feel of our traditional action rods with the lightness and responsiveness of our latest technology. These rods offer the ultimate in delicate presentation while still retaining a good measure of power and reserve thanks to the dynamic properties of our Boron 2 technology. These four-piece rods are available in three through five weight and retail for $625. They are designed and crafted in the Winston shop in Twin Bridges, Montana, and featured the traditional Winston green finish and Winston unconditional lifetime warranty. Cast the new Winston Boron 2T at the best place possible, your local specialty fly shop. Before we introduce Pat, we'd like to let you know about the great gifts we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion, a premier fly fishing magazine, and two pairs of tickets to one of the international sportsmen's expositions. So you have three chances to win tonight. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Path section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form. We'll announce the winners at the end of the show. When it comes to fly fishing Colorado's challenging waters, Pat Dorsey's credentials are impeccable. He's guide director and a partner in the Blue Quill Angler in Evergreen, Colorado. This is a full-service fly shop which was selected the Orvis National Outfit of the Year in 2000 and again in 2002. Pat himself was selected Orvis National Guide of the Year in 2001. He spends over 200 days a year on the water, and his book, A Fly Fishing Guide to the South Platte River, is a highly regarded standard. In addition to selecting and training the guides for Blue Quill, Pat has published articles in Fly Fisherman Magazine, and he's a highly sought speaker at fly fishing venues around the country. He's active in Trout Unlimited and cold water conservation efforts, and he still finds time to tie flies. He's a master tire and innovator. He still does a good bit of fly tying himself and also participates in tying demos, and he's a contract tire for Umpqua Feather Merchants. Having fished, taught, and guided on Colorado's gold, river, gold metal streams for 14 years, Pat's philosophy could be paraphrased as, fly fishing is a problem-solving exercise. Absolutely not a matter of luck. He's also been quoted as saying, if you can catch fish on the South Platte, 
you can catch fish anywhere. Based on his many successes in the Master Fly Tournament on the South Platte in Cheeseman Canyon the past several years, I believe it's safe to say that Pat Dorsey knows whereof he speaks. It's a pleasure to welcome him to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio tonight. Pat, thanks for joining us. Hi, how you doing? Good, Pat. Well, we know Pat's struggling with a little throat problem tonight, so bear with him. <laughs> He's going to tough it out, he says, so uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that one word at a time. Right, Pat? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> well, we, what we thought we'd do tonight, folks, is um, uh, the, the Platte River, the South Platte River is a, a, a long river and has multiple fisheries along it that, that do differ in both their topography and, and the way that they are fished and so forth. And so we thought we'd kind of start at the top and give you, give you a tour, a kind of a walk down via Pat Dorsey uh, on what these fisheries are like and, and, and how they should be fished. Uh, and through that, we'll, we'll talk about different times of the year, uh, you know, flies to use and so forth. The, the one thing that the, the South Platte is well known for is how tough it is to fish. In other words, the, the fish are picky and uh, not easy to catch, and I, I think that applies to just about any section. But Pat's going to clear that all up for us, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see where we're at. Now, Pat, when we look at the, the, the South Platte River drainage, and most people, I think, when they, when they think of the top, they, they think of uh, Spinning Mountain Ranch, but it actually starts a bit further up than that, doesn't it? It does. It's actually, um, there's two main stems of the South Platte River. Uh, one is the Middle Fork, which basically comes off the backside of, of Breckenridge for the most part. Um, and then you have the South Fork, which comes off the backside of Weston Pass. And both of those um, are actually pretty small meadow streams as they um, approach, you know, the Spinning Mountain Ranch section. So, um, you know, if you like to fish, you know, dry flies and, and smaller water, then those will typically cater to people that enjoy that type of fishing. Um, you know, then once once it gets into uh, Spinney Reservoir, then it, it becomes a quite bigger stream, so to speak. Well, when we're talking up there at the up above Spinney, the meadow streams and so forth, what kind of fish would we be uh, would we be looking at? Brook trout up there? Are there rainbows and browns up in there? There, there's a kind of a mixed bag of fish in there, predominantly small browns. Um, you know, you're catching brown trout that are oh seven to eleven inches on average, but that's not to say that there's not some bigger fish that are tucked under some of the undercuts and such, but for the most part, it's it's small streams, small fish, but a lot of eager fish that are willing to, to rise to dry flies. Okay, so the, the, the place that most people dream to fish about uh, and and talk about most is, is the Spinny Mountain Ranch section. And you want to kind of give us a, a lay of the land there for that section? Absolutely. The, the, the spinny section of the South Platte can be best defined as the, the three-mile section between um, Spinney Reservoir and then uh, the neighboring reservoir downstream, which is 11-mile reservoir. And this section of the river is dubbed the dream stream because the average fish in there is quite impressive. I mean, there's a good number of 16- to 20-inch fish, and it's a classic meandering meadow stream. It is below Spinney Dam, so it's, it's a classic tailwater as well. So, you know, a lot of small bugs and uh, good hatches and uh, midges, mayflies, excellent caddis, uh, superb trico fishing. I think one of the 
the most interesting parts to this section of the river is because a level mile reservoir is um, below the stretch of river, you get a, a influx of lake trout and, and impressive lake trout, you know, cuts and rainbows in the spring and uh, excellent browns in the fall and as well as some kokanee salmon. So um, catching a trophy trout during those times is a very good possibility. Pat, are there other species besides uh, trout and, and the kokanees in, in spinning and, and 11 mile? It's predominantly, um, you know, rainbows, browns, cut bows, and and then and the, the uh, kokanee come up in the fall. But I have seen um, a pike or two in there that has migrated up from um, 11 Mile Reservoir. But for the most part, it's just the the browns, uh, rainbows, and cut bows, and then the cokes in the fall, and then of course the lake influx. Um, but it's pretty pretty straightforward. You mentioned pike. Uh, pike exists both in Spinney and 11 Mile, right? That is correct. In the reservoirs themselves, that's where they're. In fact, um, I don't know if Spinney still is, but was really recognized as a quite hot place for, for pike up in the, in the reservoir itself. It is. So um, this is an area you could fish for just about anything, given, given the wind. Now, the one thing you didn't mention about fishing this area, Pat, is uh, that... Uh, isn't this the, the NASA test area for wind tunnels or something to test their aircraft? Or it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite windy up there, isn't it? It's extremely breezy up there. I mean, the wind's going to blow 80 to 90 percent of the time, and, and spring winds are usually the most brutal. So um, if, you can, if you can withstand the spring winds, you'll probably be okay. But it's definitely something to consider, and you want to uh, dress in layers, and especially this time, you know, uh, the winter, you know, it could be uh, 10 degrees below zero when you get to the stream. And uh, so, you, you know, you got to be prepared to battle the elements. But, yes, wind is definitely a factor the majority of the time. Well, then once you're downstream from 11 Mile, what are you looking at? Well, you know, 11 Mile Canyon is is, um, is a beautiful canyon. And um, there's actually about... Um, eight and a half miles of, of fishable canyon, and um, the two miles below the dam, um, Springer Gulch to the dam is is probably the the most sought after section because um, recent regulation changes in 2001 have uh, really increased the the fish count up there. It's catch and release, so as you might imagine, that's um, a very productive section. Well, um, when we're talking about 11 mile, let's let's backtrack. Uh to Spinia just for a moment there and compare, um, we're looking at the same kinds of fish in both those areas? You know, um, as far the, as browns and rainbows? The interesting thing about um, Spinney that, that I guess is interesting in, in, in one case and, and it's kind of frustrating in another case is the fact that, you know, the, the flows really dictate the amount of fish that can stay in Spinney because um, Let's say, for example, if the flow was 125 to 200, you know, a lot of those fish will will stay in that section of river. But if the rivers drop down to 50 CFS, then a lot of the fish actually drop back down into 11 mile reservoir. So um, the fish do migrate back and forth, and that's one of the um, frustrating points to to fish in this section is um, really. You know the the 
fish population really does hinge on the current flows that are getting released from from spinning. Whereas um, Eleven Mile Canyon, you know, those fish are put, they're pretty much their resident fish, and they're they're gonna they're gonna stay in that section. You don't have to worry about fish, you know, going swimming back to the lake below. In uh, that spinny section, Pat, um, are there particular flies or presentations that are useful, um, whether at different times of year or, or throughout? Well, you know, right now the, the midge hatches at Spinney have been fabulous. Um, midge has been hatching about 10.30 a.m., and they've been strong through um, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So the chances of catching fish this time of year on on midges, especially on the surface, it's, it's it's a very distinct possibility, which is really awesome when you think about mm -hmm. being able to you know catch you know trout on dry flies throughout the winter months. But it's it's classic tailwater stuff. You're going to fish a lot of midges this time of year. Um, you know, little black beauties, little mercury blood midges, and then interestingly enough, it's not it doesn't have a great beta hatch in the spring like a lot of other sections of the South Platte, but the the caddis hatches, the uh, trico hatches, um, the pale morning dun hatches, they're all exceptional. So we fish a lot of um, RS2s, and we fish a lot of um, pheasant tails in this section, 18s and 20s. Um, style cup CDC trico is, is excellent during the trico hatch, which generally starts latter part of June and, and goes clear till almost Halloween. And... So we fish dries and we fish um, drowned trichos too. So good betas in the fall. So um, just really a well-rounded trout stream. I think in your book, and, and folks, if you haven't seen Pat's book, it's called A Fly Fisher's Guide to the South Platte River. It's just an incredible book. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, after reading it, I don't know how I could have gone up there and been successful without reading it. But um, one of the flies you mentioned in there uh, as one of your favorites in that section, I think, Pat, is the buckskin nymph. Absolutely. And I think you have a particular rig. You rig that with a dropper off of that or something. Can you explain that? I do. And, you know, and, and I fish I fish a buckskin, size 18, and then a, a 18 or a 20 pheasant tail frequently. And buckskin is definitely one of my go-to patterns, and the brown trout particularly are fond of that fly, but if you do stomach samples um, with the throat pump, you'll see that it's it's just you know you'll you'll pump a tremendous amount of caddis larva, and so that buckskin is a perfect representation for that. And you know you hold the the natural next to the the, the buckskin, and it's a really close replica. So yeah, the buckskin's great bug, and and you can't beat a pheasant tail in there. It's just a great fly. Then. What's your presentation like uh, for those those fish? Are you down and drifting? We um, there's there's it really depends upon the water temperature. But you know once um, once the water temperature gets you know in the 40s to 50s, and then later in the summer it gets you know even in the 60s. But we do a lot of sight nymphing, and uh, you know um, in the sections that haven't had stream improvement, and that's one thing that's worth noting is there's been a substantial amount of stream improvement that has been conducted in this section from um, more or less the middle lot. Often we, they refer to that as kind of the barn area, it's just because, you know, that's where the old corrals and such were for the for the working ranch. But, um, you know, so they've done some stream improvement, some reinforcing in the banks and, and boulders and such in there. 
And that's pretty straightforward as far as reading the river. But I think where a lot of anglers struggle is being able to identify some of the key features on a meadow stream, such as mid-channel shelves, uh, little gravel bars, and, and stuff like that. So during, you know, when we sight nymph, we, we look for those fish that are positioned on those drop-offs. And of course, they're generally suspended in the water column, and they're, they're feeding back and forth fairly voraciously. So those are the fish that we're trying to pinpoint is the actively feeding fish that we can spot and that are um, feeding the shallow riffles. You make a big point of that in your book uh, about fishing to feeding fish. And it seems pretty obvious when you say it, but uh, it's not so obvious to anglers on the river, is it? No, it, it's, it's one of those things that uh, um, it's important to look for feeding fish. Of course, you know, the time of year and water temperatures and, and actual uh, feeding rhythm from the trout based on hatches that are in progress. And really trying to, you know, find fish that are actively feeding in shallow riffles is certainly one of the keys to being consistently successful on the South Platte. Um, you know, if you see a fish that's sitting down on the bottom, looks like he's nailed to the stream bottom, those are the fish that aren't feeding, of course, and those are the ones that we want to try to ignore. And we've had a number of questions that have come in from our audience uh, about uh, different approaches to different portions of of the South Platte at different times of year. Could you give us a, just a brief rundown maybe on, on that upper section that you're talking about? Yeah, the, um, you know, the dream stream is, is, is a great fishery year-round, but of course, because the elevation is about 8,600 feet, certainly it's going to be a lot colder in the winter months, although if you get a nice mild day like we've had the last couple of days, you know, I think uh, everybody that lives here on the Front Range knows we've had a, uh, an incredible winter this year. Um, I've lived in Colorado, I'm a native, of 43 years, and this, this is probably the worst winter that I can remember. Um, but, you know, so it's certainly it's a tougher fish in the winter, but uh, you get the lower elevations, and, and, you know, you get 11 Mile Canyon is known for a great winter fishery, um, you know, great midge fishing, and, and especially in February. And I think, you know, Decker's is, is probably one of the best, again, because you're, you know, low elevation. And Becker's, you know, is really coming on strong as a winter fishery. Well, now, since you mentioned those other fisheries, let's let's move on downriver. And I'm going to throw this, this one question out to you real quickly. I don't know if you have an answer for it. But do you know how many miles of river there are between Spinney and Denver? I don't. That's that's a great question. Um, yeah, I just I was just thought of it, and I thought, gosh, that's a, that's a long way. But that's that's where this river ends up, or or goes through. Is the downtown Denver is where this water ends up, and that's kind of an interesting fact. Um, well, let's talk about Eleven Mile Canyon then, which is below Eleven Mile Reservoir, and this is a different type of fishery. Can you kind of describe the the type of fishing that you'll have there? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 hard to imagine that. Um, just a few miles apart that that the river could be that different you know um, you go from a classic meandering meadow stream um, you know at Spinney then to uh, a boulder filled canyon like 11 mile and of course throughout the river's entirety you see it um, switching back and forth from meadow streams to canyons to back to meadow streams below 11 mile canyon but of course it fishes a lot different and um, you know Love Mile Canyon was um, built in 1932. Um, 
And you know, it's it's relatively a small dam. It's only about a 135 feet deep. So uh, whereas Cheeseman is 200 feet deep, and Spenny is is not as deep either. So the deeper the the reservoir, of course, the colder the water, and the smaller the aquatic insect life is. So, but 11 Mile is is a top release dam. So, um, you know, you have warmer water temperatures, which means you have increased activity from the trout and generally better fishing overall, just because better hatches, warmer water, and more activity from the trout. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's um, two miles that um, a lot of the real savvy anglers like to fish, and that's uh, from Springer Gulch up to the dam. So that's that's the catch and release section that uh, a lot of people target. Well, Pat, we need to take just a brief break here. Um, when we return, we'll be talking more with Pat Dorsey about fly fishing on the South Platte River. Fly tires, are you looking for better thread control when you're tying number 20 parachute atoms or spinning deer hair? Are you breaking thread, tightening down on those big saltwater streamers? The right bobbin is your answer. That's R-I-T-E bobbin. It's the only adjustable thread tension bobbin on the market today. Just dial in the tension one ounce at a time and kiss broken thread goodbye. Professional fly tires worldwide are enjoying perfect thread control for all their patterns. For details, see us at the Fly Fishing Show in Pleasanton, California, or go to our website, www.rightbobbins.com. That's R-I-T-E, bobbins.com. Right Bobbins, sold at dealers worldwide. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Pat Dorsey about fly fishing the South Platte River in Colorado. If you'd like to ask Pat a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Click on the link below the description of the show where it says click here to ask Pat your most important questions. We'll receive your questions promptly, and we'll be trying to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Uh, Pat, uh, boy, you and Blue Quill Angler both have uh, quite the reputation. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about your shop and, and the guide service that you're responsible for? Well, we have a, a great staff of guides, um, professionals that um, I consider to be some of the best in the Rocky Mountain region. And, of course, uh, the real reason that I think um, our guides success our our guide staffs so successful is just their real their passion for the sport of fly fishing and just being able to share that knowledge with with our guests each day and so uh, I think we all feel blessed to be able to make a living in this industry and I think that's kind of the the real um, stem to the whole operation do you have a website address there for your shop where people can visit you on the website we do. Um, it's www.bluequillangler.com, and uh, we do have a fishing report, and much of that is uh, a lot of the local rivers. Of course, all the, the key locations on the South Platte are, are covered on our fishing report as well. And do you have a phone number for the shop there, too? We have uh, 303-674-4700, or we also have a toll-free number, which is 800 435 5353. Terrific. While we're uh, we're still uh, moving down the river, I, I see a question from Richard in Colorado Springs who asks about uh, some of the things that he's heard about control of the water and that there may be entrance fees in some places. And he wonders if this is a growing trend and how 
how that impacts the river. Well, there's um, there's certain um, areas uh, in in all sections of the South Platte that actually uh, require um, and a parking fee, let's say. Um, but there's sections also that that don't require it. So, um, for example, up at Spinney, if you spar if you park, uh, if you come in through the uh, entrance gate to uh, Spinney Mountain uh, Reservoir, then you'll have to you'll have to pay the fee to get in there. Now, the lower lot and the middle lot, um, you don't have to pay there. And uh, Eleven Mile Canyon, there is a five dollar fee to get into the canyon, regardless of where you fish. And uh, Cheeseman, uh, the parking lot is is free. There are sections down uh, in the Deckers area that are pay parking, and um, there's sections certainly that are not pay parking. And uh, and then Waterton Canyon is also uh, a free to park. So it just kind of depends on the section where you're you're at. Have to pay the toll. Exactly. Like it and it's not. clearly marked. Yeah. Yeah. When you had you had just mentioned uh, just before the break on Eleven Mile going down, you said from the uh, I think uh, from from the dam down to what was the the location you said is is a good location? Springer Gulch. Springer Gulch. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Then then what happens from that point down to uh, I guess it's Lake George is the next. Is that all fishable water? Is it worth fishing from there? It it uh, it just really depends upon the time of year. Um, you know, typically in the winter months, it it there it remains open even for a mile or so. Um, and this year, um, you know, the, the South Platte drainage this year has been uh, flowing at above average flows because we've had so much snowfall in the Front Range, and um, so there's a lot of low-level water, so to speak, from from melt. And so the flows have been much better this year. And um, so 11 Mile and, and Deckers, you know, uh, Deckers on a guide trip yesterday, and, and basically it's clear from Cheeseman Reservoir all the way to the confluence of the North Fork, in which that's not a uh, normal winter season. So this year there's been larger areas of water for people to fish. But during the summertime, perfectly good fishing all through that area? Absolutely. Certainly uh, 11 Mile Canyon does get a lot of activity in, in the uh, summer months just because it's close to Colorado Springs. There is uh, several campgrounds there, and so it gets a lot of activity um, during that section. But um, you know, it, it's uh, it's certainly as not as good as um, as the upper two miles because standard regulations apply in that lower section. So is it more of a put and take down there, or are they stocking that area? They uh, they do stock the lower river. Um, there is uh, wild brown trout in there, and there is also, um, according to Jeff Spohn, who's the biologist for the Upper South Platte Basis, a uh, good number of fish from that upper section uh, do drop down into that lower section. Now, one of the interesting things, and it's, it's worth noting, is that um, 11 Mile Canyon, because it is a top-release reservoir, whirling disease is not a problem in there because the spores are non, they're, they're non-buoyant, so they're sitting down. Um, in the bottom of the reservoir, but they're not actually coming over the spillway. So, um, you know, the reservoir itself is a hot spot for the whirling disease spores, but the fish aren't affected in the tailwater below because it is a, a top release. And uh, also the gradient of the stream channel has um, factors with that as well. So the quicker the current, the, there seems to be less whirling disease as well. Um, 
So it's, it's an interesting fishery up top because it's a self-sustaining rainbow trout fishery, which is unheard of in this day and age with um, whirling disease. Now, Pat, when you, when you refer to the lower river, uh, could you describe to us uh, what that involves? There's, there's about eight and a half miles of actual river um, in 11-mile canyon. Now, the placement of the dam, the canyon itself was actually about 11 miles long. That's why they named it 11-mile canyon. But the placement of the dam really only left about eight and a half miles. So I guess really, I, I, I mean, the lower river would be certainly, I don't know, the lower four miles in my mind. Um, but it's all very good water. And, uh, you know, it's, it's classic big, deep pools with boulders. Um, it, it's really a great fishery, I mean, all the way up through there. Um, it's just it's the special regulations up close to the dam that really give you the bigger fish, though. We do have a question from Ted that comes in uh, that it might apply here. He's heard the term pocket water. I'm not sure what part of the country he's from. He's unfamiliar with that term and wonders if you might describe that and maybe where, where we see it in the, in the South Platte. Pocket water could be best defined by um, a section of stream that's got boulders um, interdispersed. And uh, what those boulders do is they create the structure. And you know behind each boulder, then you have a, a pocket. And uh, typically, you've got a reverse current in there. And you've got two distinct seams on either side of, of that boulder. And, Pocket water is, is great areas to target during the summer months. Um, typically, in Cheeseman and 11 Mile, you know, they're both boulder-filled canyons. So um, as the water temperatures escalate during the summer months, when in a lot of cases, Cheeseman Reservoir will spill over the top, too, and the same, you know, 11 Mile comes over the top. So if your water temperatures get into the 60s, then um, those fish are going to have a tendency to move into the fast water. And, and so pocket water is is a great choice for that time time of year. Now, when time of year is, is a, a question that's come up several times here. We've got Tad in Virginia, Wayne in Colorado Springs, Brian Adams in Bakersfield, California, all wanting to know the best time of year to fish the South Platte. And uh, you want to kind of elaborate on that? Because we, I think in some of these other states, too, they have seasons, which is a bit different in Colorado. Right. I it, It's funny because... My customers, that's a common question too. And so, I, I, my favorite time is is in May. And what happens is, is the fish are, are kind of coming out of that lethargic period where water temperatures start to escalate. And generally during that time frame, of course, you're getting some betas, and so the the, the fish are, have moved from the, the the slow deep pools. Now they're back into the riffles looking for mayfly nymphs. But one of the, the the real key things is is that increased water temperature. Now, rainbows thrive in water temperatures that are 42 to 55 degrees, and then your brown trout thrive in low 50s to low 60s. So um, the brown trout stay hidden a lot of the time, and as that water temperature increases, so does the activity from the brown trout. And uh, during that temperature increase, of course, you get an increase in flow volume too because of runoff, so to speak, is still controlled, but still you're getting um, higher flow regimens with the snowpack. And with that higher flow, um, larger food organisms like your crane flies, your scuds, and your aquatic worms get knocked loose. 
And the fish really go into a heavy feeding frenzy during May. So that's your favorite time. But, but just to make it clear to, to all our listeners, in Colorado we don't have a trout season per se. So if, uh, if one of the fly fishers was coming in on a business trip or, or at any time of the year, there's fishing to be had, correct? Absolutely. And, in fact, I mean, I had guessed out yesterday, and we had a great day. And, uh, you know, fished a lot of midge patterns and, and all nymphing. But uh, we do fish the plat 365 days a year. Of course, winter fishing is challenging. And if you can catch a half a dozen fish in the winter, you've had a very productive day. But, um, yeah, don't, I mean, there's certainly um, there's different approaches for different times of the year. And um, you can be successful any time of the year um, for the most part. Well, as we, as we move uh, down below uh, 11 Mile Canyon, uh, what what are we encountering? Well, as you get below 11 Mile, then um, the section that um, there's a section in there called Wildcat Canyon, and and that's pretty difficult to access. So I I didn't include that at all in the book. It's and that was burnt um, very very uh, bad in the Hayman fire. So the next um, area that uh, we fish a lot would be the Cheeseman Canyon section and the Decker section. Okay, so the the section you just talked about, this Wildcat Canyon, that's all. That would be all hiking, isn't it? There's no road access or anything into that. Yeah, there there's some really rough four by four roads to get in there, uh, but I'm sure that that's and I, I can't be 100% accurate on this, but I'm sure those are all closed after the Hayman fire. But yeah, the the hiking access is is probably the best way to get in there but um, I haven't talked to anybody I don't have any reliable sources of, of what that's been like I've observed it from the air and it's it's in pretty bad shape well we uh, we hear a lot about Cheeseman Canyon uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, uh, and what the access is like and how you fish it Cheeseman Canyon is, uh, is my favorite place to fish uh, it's an hour from my home here in Parker and uh, I, I just like it because uh, it's one of the most technical fisheries in the West. And um, I firmly believe that if you can catch fish on a consistent basis in the canyon, that you can catch fish anywhere in the world. Cheeseman's, uh, it's, it's a classic boulder-filled canyon. The reservoir was built in 1905, so its 100-year anniversary was last year. And um, it's three miles long, and it's it's classic tailwater uh Great midge hatches in the, in the winter, uh, great betas in the spring. Uh, we see caddis, we see uh, pale morning duns, we see trichos, we see more betas in the fall. Um, it, it's an area that uh, doesn't get stocked. It's, it's been catch and release since 1972, and it has swung from a brown trout fishery back in the 70s to predominantly a rainbow fishery. And the... Uh, Early early 80s and 90s, and now it's swinging back to a brown trout fishery. So there's been a lot lot of changes. Can you talk, Pat, about some uh, specific fly patterns that you use in that section? Uh, if I had to pick two flies for the canyon, I think, and it, I would probably pick a number 20 or a 22 mercury midge, and then a uh, number 20 RS2, and I think. Uh, I think if I had to pick one fly for the for the South Platte, it would probably be a size 20 RS2. It's 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 the fly of choice, and particularly a pattern that 
we call it's a sparkle wing RS2, so it has a very flashy wing. I noticed that in your book. Now, is that a loop that's tied with that? It's braided something. I can't remember now. What what is that material? Yeah, it's 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 called pearl braid, and it is. It's actually a flat ribbon, and it's just it's like a loop wing with a flat ribbon that's comprised of about 15 or 20 strands of crystal flash. So, um, in the water, you can really see it. Uh, flashing and the fish just they really eat that fly well so that's a modification of the original fly that uh, rim chung uh, put together what uh, what is it imitating pat and what colors uh, do you like for that we uh, we fish gray predominantly um, but it it does imitate a, a mayfly nymph um, most of the time but it, all, it can also imitate midge and emerging midge in, in smaller sizes but uh, and you know we tie them down to a 24, so um, you know you can get them you can get them pretty small. But it's uh, I think in most cases most anglers fish that for um, a, a betis nymph, so to speak. Now in that um, in the Cheeseman Canyon, that's all hiking, right? So it's it's not easy access fly fishing. No, it 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 uh, it, it it does take a, a little bit of of uh, time to get into the canyon, and, and you know your elevation is about six to three hundred feet. So if you're from out of town, it's it's certainly you're going to wonder where the oxygen is. Um, but you know if you if you go slow, it'll take you you know twenty five to thirty minutes to get in on the lower canyon. And uh, if you decide to come in from from the lower Gill Trail, you can actually there's three point two miles of trail there. Um, it's called the Gill Trail, and it was actually named after Carl Gill, who was one of the uh, first settlers in the area. And uh, and there's been uh, Trout Limpton has done thousands and thousands of hours of volunteer work to enhance the trail. So the trail is is a beautiful trail. It's well groomed. It's it's uh, not a tremendous amount of gradient. So getting in and out of the canyon from a safety standpoint is is better than it's ever been. But um, you can access the canyon from the low end or you can actually access it from the upper end, and the access point from the up near Cheeseman Lake is much more difficult uh, as compared to the lower access. It's almost straight down, I take it, to get down. Yeah, getting in is easy, but getting out is a challenge. <laughs> when you're tired, yeah. yeah. That's well, right. Let me stick in one more question before we uh, uh, take a brief break. Uh, Pat, sometimes this... Uh, this stretch of the river can get a little crowded. Could you talk uh, maybe just a little bit about your take on fishing a crowded uh, uh, area? Yeah, I think um, I think we've all seen a tremendous amount of uh, increase in pressure, and uh, I think etiquette is is extremely important uh, wherever you fish. And I think communication is is uh, you know goes a long way. So I always try to communicate with. My fellow angler, you know, are you moving upstream, are you moving downstream, or, um, you know, it, for myself, it's it's important to um, get along with all the people out on the stream and, and and visit and talk to people and make sure they're having a good time as well. But um, so you know, I just I just try uh, I just try not to crowd anybody out and and uh, you know, if there's somebody um, fishing, I try to give them you know walk up several hundred yards or a couple hundred yards and fish above them. Um, but, of course, you know, etiquette really is dictated on the amount of pressure that's in the general area. So if there's only two guys down in the canyon, 
then you know you give a guy a lot more room than you would if there's two dozen guys in the canyon. So sure. um, it, it uh, I, I would say that if if the lower canyons got a lot of pressure, then I tend typically like to you know, hike up further. Generally, the, the further you hike, the less people you encounter. Sure. Well, and, and regardless, I think you, if you apply the golden rule to the given circumstance, uh, things work out pretty well. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's take just a brief break here, and when we return, Pat will be answering more of your questions about uh, catching those elusive South Platte trout. Lefty Cray, Dave Whitlock, Bob Clouser, Gary Borger, Jack Dennis, all of these and more fly fishing greats have been involved in the International Sportsman's Exposition over the past 30 years. Each of the five ISE events is the market's largest sportsman's event all year, featuring up to 600 exhibitors, hundreds of seminars, and special events, including ISE's own Best of the West Distance Casting Contest. Visit www.sportsexpos.com for seminar schedules and more information. Come meet the legends and those who soon may be at upcoming ISE events in Arizona and Utah. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Pat Dorsey about fly fishing the South Platte River in Colorado. If you'd like to ask Pat a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Click on the link below the description of the show where it says click here to ask Pat your most important question. We'll receive these questions immediately, and we'll be trying to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Well, we've heard uh, heard you mention the Hayman Fire. Uh, I guess that affected sort of the Cheeseman Canyon and the Deckers area in general. Uh, could you tell us just a little bit about that impact? And we have uh, several questions that have come in in reference to that. Yeah, the, the Hayman Fire is, is certainly um, one of the pit, most pivotal events that's you know occurred on on the South Platte watershed, and certainly. Um, it, it's really gut-wrenching. Um, you know, 137,000 acres, um, and is you know today Colorado's largest forest fire. Now, um, of course, anytime you have a fire, then um, you have erosion problems, and and that's that's what is we've been faced with uh, lately is is the erosion problems, and I think um, that's where everybody's concerned. So, um, the canyon is a different river than it was. Um, pre-fire and you know the biggest biggest challenge is is you know for example the fire up in Yellowstone you know those ponderosa pines they came right back you know because of all the nutrients and we're trying to reestablish a, a forest in decomposed granite and that's a difficult task as you might imagine. Did, did the fire actually come down into Cheeseman Canyon or is this runoff or, or you're talking about up above and, and just draining down? Yeah, there's there's uh, there's there's several creeks that come in, and uh, one of those creeks that's um, and it's probably the biggest problem. It's called Schoonover Gulch, and it's it's a big ravine that's uh, right up near Cheeseman Dam itself. It's it's uh, several hundred yards below the dam, and um, right there is, is one of the most problematic um, uh, areas with regard to the fire because um, anytime we get any type of rain, uh, then we get this uh, granite, this decomposed granite comes down this stream and then it enters into this, the stream bed. And so um, those pieces of granite have 
work their way into the um, South Platte, and then they're they're continuously rolling down the South Platte, if, if that makes sense. So um, a lot of the deep holes have been completely filled in, and it's it's really changed the river tremendously. It's interesting. We we have a, a couple of different takes in our questions about uh, the impact of the Hayman fire. Uh, John Pavoncella in uh, York, Pennsylvania was out uh, this past summer, and he found the river below Deckers uh, to be pretty much a chocolate milkshake. And he wonders if there's any plan in terms of dealing with the sediment or if they're just going to let nature take its course. And I guess I'm wondering, how do you fish water that's like chocolate milkshake? What John's probably um, referring to is the stretch below um, Horse Creek. And uh, Horse Creek has been a, another uh, tributary that, that's caused a tremendous amount of problems. And last year, um, first week of July, I, if I'm not mistaken, we had a substantial uh, flood down there. Um, you know, we, we had, it's amazing, you know, how much water sometimes we get two or three inches of rain up there. And of course, you know, with, with the burnt forest, there's nothing to hold it back. So what happened was is we had a, a big flood, and it, it washed out, you know, several stretches of Highway 126. In fact, it was closed all summer and didn't reopen until the latter part of October. Um, so there was a lot of construction that took place in there, and, and, and pretty much from Horse Creek down, it, it's been muddy. Now, um, of course, we all were wondering if, if the fish were still there, but the fish are still there, that we've been catching fish all winter long down there. Well, another question about the, the fire, uh, Paul in Seattle yeah. <laughs> says, uh, how has the fishing changed the Cheeseman Canyon since the Hayman fire? I got the impression that sight fishing with dry flies might have improved. I, and I don't know if he's inferring that, that maybe the, the background of, of sediment has changed the look of the river. Can, can you elaborate on that? Well, certainly... Um, there's, there's a lot of different things that, that have happened since the fire. Um, I think, you know, during the fire we had a lot of drought, and so we had lower flows. Um, the sediment, um, as a result of, of the fire and the erosion, uh, a lot of soot and ash originally washed into the stream. So we had lower flows, and then the black bottom actually created warmer flows. And with the warmer water and lower flows, a lot like some of the other streams in Colorado, for example, the Arkansas, we started to see brown trout take a strong foothold in the canyon. In fact, it's about 60% browns. And with the decomposed granite now, we've got a lot of uh, shelves and gravel bars and such that weren't there. It used to be more pocket water, but now with the granite, you have a lot of uh, mid-channel shelves and drop-offs and such. Now, interestingly enough, um, there's still fairly decent dry fly fishing. Um, you know, the trico hatch took a big hit, but this past summer I saw the most tricos that I've seen since the fire. Mm. Um, so a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the holes have filled in. So certainly there's not the structure there once was, and I think the fish are a lot more opportunistic now than they were before the fire. Um, you know, and I've seen more anglers fishing dry flies and being successful even with dry dropper rigs. Before we forget, we've had a, a number of questions that have uh, inquired about the equipment that you might be using for fishing different stretches of the 
of the South Platte and uh, Old Al down in Glen Rose, Texas is wondering if you're using fluorocarbon tippets and what color of fly line you might be using. I typically use an olive fly line. Um, and I don't fish uh, fluorocarbon in Cheeseman or other sections of the South Platte. I am a, a, a big uh, believer in 6x just because fish don't see it and also uh, because you get a, a, you know your flies drift much uh, more subtle and so um, typically um, you know a classic indicator rig I use yarn on an orthodontist rubber band so that I can move it up and down and uh, 6x and, and then adjusting your indicator and your weight is, is also very important. You had mentioned in your book that the use of uh soft pliable lead rather than split shot. Are you, are you still use that method? or? Yeah, I do. Um, unfortunately, the, the product that, that I really liked was uh, a product called Liga Soft Lead. But unfortunately, that product is no longer available. And so that, that was um, tough to, um, you know, when you get so familiar with using a product of, uh, you know, like that, you, you, you know, and then it goes away, you, you really feel hard-pressed, but there's a new product out now called, uh, uh, it's a it's a moldable tungsten mud called Mojo Mud, and mm -hmm. so it's environmentally sound. I think um, we all know that tungsten's got a much better sink rate, but what what the um, adjustable putties allow you to do is, is if you're fishing two or three split shots and you're snagging on the bottom, you take one split shot off, you've just reduced your weight 33%, whereas if you use a moldable putty, that allows you to fine-tune your weight. You know, you can make two, three, five percent weight changes, and you can change, you know, every pocket, every riffle, every run, and you can get it dialed right in. And you can put it on and off quicker, too. Absolutely. And what I do usually is I keep a chunk of that handy on my uh, zipper pull of my vest. Okay, so um, if I snag on the bottom, then I just take a chunk off and put it on my zipper pull, or if I feel like I'm not getting down, I just take a piece and, and then re-add it. So it's very easy to use. And um, what I do is uh, I, I'm a, I generally nymph with a 7.5-foot leader, um, and then uh, on the terminating point of that leader, I'll run 14 to 16 inches of 6X tippet material. But what I'll do is I'll put a size 6 split shot above that knot on the junction between my tippet and my leader, and then I'll take that moldable putty and I'll put that over the split shot. So the split shot, in essence, is the anchor for my moldable putty. Ah, good tip. Good tip. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, using non-toxic uh, materials for the for the sink is uh, is important. In the different sections of of the river, are you using different rods? I generally, um, I think you know, for for all practical purposes, a nine foot five or a nine foot four would be um, perfect. Um, I think a five is probably better for you know the South Park area out at Spinney because the wind blows, yep. um, and you know the wind is not nearly a factor in, in the rest of the the drainage, and and so um, you know a four weight will work fine. Um, typically a tip flex, and um, and just do a tremendous amount of short line nymphing. So. Um, you know, you're short line and high sticking and trying to keep all that line off the water, and, and uh, those rods, rods work really well. Well, to kind yeah. of finish up with the, the, the Cheeseman area, uh, can you talk a little bit about the private areas that exist there that people need to be aware of? There is um, 
between the Dakers area and Cheeseman Canyon, there is the Wigwam Club and then the TP Club, and, and they're they're marked, um, you know, clearly that that, uh, that they're private fishing clubs. Um, the interesting thing there is is uh, they have some quite impressive fish in these clubs. Uh, they they stock Camloop uh, rainbows, so um, you get some uh, you know escapees that slip into the canyon as well as uh, down into the Decker section. So you know the possibility of catching a big fish during certain times of the year is 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 a you know is going to happen usually. We have a question I'm looking for here. Uh, one of the uh, audience had a, a sizable uh, trout. Uh, uh, slip into the Wigwam Club, and he's wondering what his rights are in terms of uh, getting to that fish. Uh, he, uh, it sounds like he broke off uh, there, and he was concerned about the fish, uh, you know, being stuck to something, and uh, was was wondering if he could properly approach that fish and get it loose, if nothing else. Uh, I would I would recommend. Yeah, not going down into the wigwam club. It would just there's a fence that actually goes across the bottom of the property, and so um, you know if if uh, if your fish goes down in there, you're pretty much out of luck. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah, it's, and there is some big fish that sit right there on that uh, shelf and down in that lower section there. That's down in the uh, you know near the family hole there. So it's quite common to, to catch a fish and have them run into the private property as well. Yeah, there, well, right there, you know, those big cam loops. There's a there's a depression in the gravel bar that you know a lot of people fish, um, and some of those fish will hang in there. Now, um, generally, about the third week of March is is when you'll start to see these cam loops in in decent numbers start to move up into the lower canyon uh, from the Emerald Pool down, and and you can you can identify these fish because they're big, but um, they're kind of a steel blue color. And you know you'll see 20 to 24 inch fish, you know, coming in to spawn, and and the steel riffles and and uh, some of those areas there. So you know, chartreuse egg pattern scuds, and you know you'll you'll see you'll get an opportunity to hook some big fish in March. What makes those fish special? Why do why do they stock them in that private area? They're they're cantaloupes are. are are just they're known for growing fast and but they're they're also they're known for their fight i mean they're hot we hooked some some of those yesterday and and you know they're just they're strong and they're they're tough to catch and and um but i think the most impressive thing is they're just they're big fat and then they fight like an ox <laughs> let uh tell us a little bit about the the water near deckers deckers is uh I guess one thing you could you could is safe to assume is the further that you move down from Cheeseman Dam, the more tributaries that enter the river, so the more problems that you have with with erosion. Um, Cheeseman, um, the first tributary comes in. Uh, we got Wigwam Creek, then you got Four Mile Creek, and then you got Horse Creek, and um, so you, you run into to more problems as you move down river, but. Deckers is 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 really coming back strong, and um, certainly uh, the section from uh, Horse Creek or the Deckers Bridge up to the bottom of the TP Club is is probably the most consistent because it's above Horse Creek, and so the water 
has been clear. Um, the Colorado Division of Wildlife has an aggressive stocking program, um, and they have stocked uh, several thousand um, fingerling rainbows in there over the course of the last few years to combat, you know, the fire and the whirling disease and such. So there's several year classes present, and just fishing in general right now in Deckers is, has been fabulous, and it's a lot more forgiving than it is in the canyon. Well, that uh, area there in Deckers was where part of the um, uh, U.S. National Fly Fishing Championship was held last year. And um, those were some of the beats were, were strung out from there, I think, from Deckers on up to the Wigwam Club yeah. or, or Four Mile Creek, somewhere in there, uh, I think. Is that, is that right, Pat? That's correct. And, in fact, um, when that was here, um, the, fl the flows were down about 50 CFS, so those boys were technically challenged. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> noticed that, too. Don and I were there yeah. going, this is skinny water. <laughs> well, and it was 100 degrees out. Yeah, yeah, very hot too. It um, was, uh, yeah, it's a t that's a tough. It was a tough fish for them. Um, uh, so it was, you know, it was good for them though, because they're supposed to be <laughs> the best in the West. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, you had mentioned your book since we're talking. Don just brought up heat, um, temperatures of the of the water, and when is the best. What's the best water temperature for active fish, and when should you stop fishing to protect the fish? Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah. You bet. I mean, uh, you know, 55 degrees is is optimum for trout. And uh, but keep in mind again is is um, you know rainbows and browns really do prefer different water temperatures. So uh, we briefly discussed it a moment ago about uh, how rainbows um, they produce most of the the winter catch, so to speak, when the water temperatures are colder. The brown trout are sitting down on the bottom of the hole, and they're not feeding actively. Um, but as the water temperatures warm, and, and, and most of the time it's because the water's coming up over the Cheeseman Dam, so you've got that warm surface water coming over the spillway mixing with colder water, and so you'll you'll see water temperatures um, in you know May and June start to get mid 50s, high 50s, and you know, towards if it keeps and continues to spill into July, um, like last year, it spilled for two and a half months. But um, you can run into problems, you know, when the water gets into the, the mid to high 60s. So if it, I, I carry a thermometer and I keep a close eye on the temperature all the time. If it gets in that 66, 67 degree range, then uh, you really need to be concerned, especially with the rainbows. As far as as, as not fishing them and, and tiring them in that. Yeah, we generally, like, if the water temperature gets to 67 degrees, we, we try to explain to our guests that we, we shouldn't be out there. And uh, so what we'll tri typically try to do is, you know, start our guide trips earlier and, you know, try to knock off earlier um, just to, um, you know, take, take it easy on the fish. Yeah, especially with the droughts uh, that, have, that the West has experienced lately, there are more and more areas that uh, probably could reasonably attend to those kind of details. Well, it's, uh, it's time to take another short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with Pat about fishing for those picky South Platte trout. The Federation of Fly Fishers is offering a special seminar series at the fly fishing shows which are taking place around the country. Entitled From Beginner to Expert, the Federation Classic Reference Series, these seminars not only offer expert instruction, 
but the nominal $25 fee also includes a one-year membership to the Federation, an incredible bargain. The fly fishing show and Federation seminar uh, will be in different areas, and you can access their website, www.flyfishingshow.com. Don't miss these outstanding fly fishing shows and take advantage of the Federation seminars. Tell your friends and bring along some newcomers. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Pat Dorsey about fly fishing the South Platte River in Colorado. If you'd like to ask Pat a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show that says, click here to ask Pat your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Well, um, talking about the Deckers area and going south from there, uh, that brings us down to uh, the confluence of the North Fork, where the North Fork comes in as well. Could you talk a little bit about the North Fork? You bet. Um, the North Fork is uh, kind of a more of a fast-flowing stem of the South Platte, and uh, it basically comes off the backside of, of Kenosha Pass, and there is uh, a lot of private fishing clubs in that section, um, so access is is a little bit more limited, you know, along the North Fork. Now, down around the, uh, you know, the South Platte Hotel and in, in, in the area there that uh, you're referring to, where the the confluence of the North Fork and the South Fork and the South Platte come together, um, it's a lot more reminiscent of the Deckers area, but it's predominantly smaller fish. You know, you catch a lot of a lot of small brown. So um, the, the the bigger fish are certainly up in the private leases, um, Boxwood Gulch, Long Meadow Ranch, North Fork Ranch, and such. And um, you know that's that's where you can catch some really big fish. What patterns are you using? In in there, um, we uh, fish a lot of beadheads. It's 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 kind of a it's a it's a mayfly and it's a caddis river. And uh, interesting enough, and this is. Is, is important to note is um, basically the, the North Fork of the South Platte comes is uh, pumped underground via the Roberts Tunnel, so um, you get a lot of water coming out of Dillon Reservoir uh, underground, and so um, Denver Water is going to bring um, the water that they need for the metropolitan Denver area for irrigation and for farmers and just for day-to-day -day urban needs. They're going to bring it. Um, down one fork of the other. So um, basically, if if the North Fork of the South Platte is running high, um, the South Fork of the South Platte, which is coming out of Cheeseman, is going to be low, and vice versa. Um, so it, usually they're not going to both be be ripping. But um, you know, the average flow or good flow on the North Fork of the South Platte is about 180 cfs. Uh, we really didn't talk about that in the canyon, but uh, 250 is about a normal flow. But uh, if, if you had, like, 600 CFS coming down the North Fork, the Cheeseman flow might be 100, if that makes sense. You mentioned but, in your book a lot about um, flows and the importance of flows and how you check and many times determine what part of the South Platte you're going to fish during those flows. Um, you you want to kind of give us some tips on, on how to work those flows and what, what to look for and where to call to find out about that? You bet. I mean, um, I, I would encourage everybody before they 
um, go to the river to, to call water talk. And uh, that number is 303-831-7135. And you could just punch in, uh, like, for example, for Cheeseman, uh, you, you hit uh, Station 1, which is the South Platte drainage, and then you put in 40 for the releases below Cheeseman. Uh, it's 42 for the North Fork. It's uh, 43 for Spinney and 78 for 11 Mile Canyon. And that gives you updated releases. And uh, so I, I always call and try to get the releases before I go to the river so there's no surprises. And um, I, I really do correlate the releases with the section of river that I'm, that I'm going to fish. And, um, you know, you ask a little bit about patterns like on the North Fork. So, you know, if the river's high, we're going to be fishing bigger beadheads and stoneflies and copper johns and such. If it's low, then we're going to be fishing small small nymphs, and it's going to be a lot more technical. Ed, give us an idea uh, in turn when you when you say high and low, uh, what ranges you're talking about for folks. I, I consider anything under 100 CFS to be a low flow. Um, you know, um, except for 11 mile because it's it's a little bit more of a constricted canyon. So um, a low flow in the canyon would be 60 CFS uh, in 11 mile canyon. But overall, I mean, um, flows between about 180 to 250 are ideal throughout much of the drainage. One of our questions was talking about presentation and flies in these areas. It's from Mark in Woodland Park. He says. How do you do the two flyway of fishing in the South Platte, and what are the months you need to do that? I think he's referring to, I think, a, you know, a, a two-fly dropper situation. Tandem. Yeah. And and don't you usually fish that way for, for most of your nymphing? I do. Um, I, I, I typically, uh, and, and, and I guess Mark's question would probably be a two-fly tandem nymphing rig, um, right. is is incorporate some sort of an attractor fly. Um, and that attractor really is dictated by the time of the year. For example, uh, if the bait is coming off in March, I'd use maybe a flashback pheasant tail. Uh, if it was caddis season, I would uh, go with a caddis larva. Um, if it was stone fly season, etc., stone. Uh, egg pattern during the spawning season, scuds worms, crane flies in May and June during higher flow volumes. So I use some sort of an attractor, and uh, I like to come out of the eye. Of course, there's two schools of thought there. You can go eye to eye. Um, in other words, tie a clinch knot on, cut it off, and then take a separate piece of tippet material, tie another clinch knot back into the attractor fly, and then 14 to 16 inches from there, tie another um, clinch knot onto your, your point fly. So um, that whole nymphing system is in line, so to speak, um, rather than the other school of thought is, is to come off the bend um, of the hook. Now, the, the, the dropper fly, or the point fly, which is the furthest away from the lead, um, then I, I try to put something like a small midge or a mayfly down there, and a lot of that, again, is dictated uh, on the time of the year as far as size and what other bugs might be coming off. But um, two flies uh, generally um, is the way to go. A lot of times that lower fly is going to be your midge or, or like RS2s, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, and what I'll do is um, 
especially like in the canyon, you know, like um, what I'll what I'll traditionally do. I mean, day in and day out, I I, um, I fish one midge and one mayfly. Um, so the Merck midge, size 20, 22, and then an RS2, and that's that's really my bread and butter go-to rig. Um, now, there are some some tricks. Um, it, let's just say it's middle of April, um, and I start out in the morning with a with a midge and a mayfly, and and uh, having some sort of prior knowledge that the betas mayflies are going to come, you know, come off about one o'clock, and they're going to hatch till three o'clock. I, I know that those mayfly nymphs are going to start to move around about noon. So what I'll do a lot of times is during selective feeding phases, where I know that they'll be eating either midges or mayflies, um, about noon then. Um, in the spring, I'll switch to two mayfly nymphs, so I'll run a flashback pheasant tail on top and then an RS2 on the bottom because I know that those fish are keying on betas. And then about 3.30 or so, then I'll go back to one uh, midge and one mayfly. And then towards the evening when the midge hatch comes off, I may fish one midge larva and one midge pupa. Well, as we move farther down, what are we encountering? Well, um, below the... Below the uh, confluence of the North Fork and the South Platte, and the South Fork and the South Platte, there is a small section there above uh, Stronza Springs Reservoir, which um, I fish from time to time. But really, that section is is uh, and that whole section, you know, of the North Fork and the South Platte has been um, had some uh, effects from the Buffalo Creek fire, which was in 1995, and I think um, this whole area. Um, you know, buffalo, pine, and there. It's just been plagued with fires over the years. So I don't do a tremendous amount of fishing there, but um, the next stretch that's probably uh, real key and um, for anglers would be the Waterton Canyon stretch. And um, it's it's the closest uh, metropolitan tailwater, and it's just minutes from uh, Littleton. Yeah, it's amazing. And that, that was close. another stretch that uh, the championship was held on, uh, and pro proved to be quite tough fishing as well. Absolutely. What, what patterns good. and presentations are you using? It's um, you know, it, it really depends again the time, uh, the time of year. I was in Waterton last week, um, and it's frozen right now. The flows are low, so um, you know sometimes in the winter months it it can be locked up with ice down in the lower sections. Of course, it's open up near the dam, but um, this time of year, you know, there's a lot of midge, a lot of midge fishing, and um, sometimes I'll use a stoneflies in the tractor. There is a tremendous amount of stoneflies up in that water, but uh, it, uh, it once again is a, you know, you can fish uh, bead heads and stoneflies, caddis patterns and such. Um, there's, there's several miles of, of water there. Um, the upper three miles above an area called Marston Diversion, which is a small lake uh, where they divert water to um, Marston, Marston Lake for Denver Water's drinking needs, um, is from there up is, is the quality water. And so um, what I would encourage people to do is to uh, take a mountain bike and, and go up into that upper section. And the lower section uh, can be accessed by foot, um, and it's uh, more of a put-and-take fishery. And there is some holdovers in that section, but um, it's a beautiful canyon. I think yeah. you've got, what, about five miles of canyon up from the parking lot to the dam, as yep. I remember. Yeah there's, yeah, there's five to six miles in there um, of, of, of water, and it's, 
uh, you know, it, it's it's just a great resource because uh, you know fishermen can fish. There's hikers, uh, there's mountain bikers, and uh, it's gorgeous. You could go in with your family and have a picnic lunch, and and uh, you know, there's just all kinds of wildlife in there, and it's just it's just the perfect place, and it's just minutes from uh, Denver. Yeah, and many times you can see the, the the sheep in that canyon as well, so which is kind of nice. absolutely. Yeah. Um, something to note that you know, and, and again is um, you know, in March you get some some fairly decent rainbows that come up out of Chatfield, um, so you know you get a couple two three runs down there that are that are key spots for some you know get some rainbows that you know 16 20 inches that are coming up into the South Platte to spawn, and that's that's kind of a secret that. A lot of people don't know about. Hmm. Yeah. Don, no. you want to talk a little bit about the? Um, we've got a couple of questions here on streamers. Do you want to? Yeah. Uh, well, and, and maybe Chatfield's uh, one place to bring it up, but I think through throughout the entire river. Right. Uh, we've got a number of folks. Uh, Rick Rhodes down in Pueblo, and and uh, Tom Vitale uh, out in Sammamish, and I'm not quite sure where Sammamish is. Maybe maybe that's Oregon country. Chad Scheel in, in uh, Littleton, uh, lots of guys uh, asking about uh, the use of streamers. Uh, throughout the, let's, let's start with uh, just in different sections of the, of the water, but uh, even including the dream stream, uh, people are successfully using streamers. Yeah, I, you know, I think, um, I think uh, we, have, we certainly have some diehard streamer fishermen um, that are on our guide staff, and, and they catch fish on the South Platte with streamers. It's, I think it's a less publicized method of catching fish, but certainly um, you, you, you'll catch fish on streamers throughout the, in, the entire um, length of the, of the South Platte, you know, I mean, especially at Spinney. Um, you know, you get some good browns, good rainbows during the spawning season. Um, you get some decent browns um, in 11 Mile Canyon, and um, there's, some, there's some real big fish you know, up right below Cheeseman Reservoir, um, that you know you can move you can move fish on streamers. There's there's just no doubt about it. Um, but will you catch more fish on small nymphs? Yeah, I mean that's the bread and butter. Those fish are making their living eating midges and mayflies. Um, interesting to note too that uh, Cheeseman is turning in you know more of a brown trout fishery. So the biomass has really swung to 50 to 60 percent brown. So as you might imagine. You know, you're going to catch more fish now on streamers just because the browns are a little bit more territorial. Yeah, I think that's what Chad said there, Don, in uh, talking about fishing below Cheeseman. Yep, yep. Great results, two to three trophy trout per visit. And he, he credits Kelly Gallup's techniques, which was on our sh Kelly was on our show talking about those streamer techniques. So um, it's, it's probably what, what you work hardest at uh, works best, too, wouldn't you say, Pat? Absolutely, and I mean... All fish are opportunistic, so you know if, if if you present a streamer, you know you're going to catch those fish from time to time, um, you know, and, and especially up in that upper section, there's a lot of big fish um, in that gauging station and, and down in there, um, and so streamer tactics, they're certainly going to they're going to be effective, um, you know, and, and if you you know if you get in there and work it, um, you can, you'll move some you'll move some nice fish. How about uh, downstream from Waterton Canyon? What uh, what can an angler expect in Chatfield Reservoir? I you know I really don't um, fish the reservoir itself, but there is uh, 
there is some talk that uh, uh, they may be um, doing some work um, on the South Platte below Chatfield, um, mm -hmm. which would be just phenomenal. It would almost, you know, open up something like the the, the, the new tail water there, you know, in Pueblo. Um, shoot, that would only be minutes from my house. And, uh, yeah. you know, there is some trout in there now uh, and, you know, some browns. And, and, you know, I have fished that section from mineral up to the dam, but not a whole lot. Um, you know, and, and there's some warm water species in there. Um, but, you know, I think that that's encouraging, and I hope that uh, I hope that, that project comes together. Why don't you just tell them briefly what that project is? It's my understanding that they want to try to do some stream improvement um, below Chatfield Reservoir, and uh, I think that they are going to try to attempt to make the dam taller so that you know you could get some cooler water coming off the bottom of that. Now, um, I've 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 read an article that Charlie Myers wrote in the Denver Post, and I haven't heard too much more buzz about that. But um, my understanding was that they were going to start to work on that in 2007. Good, that'd be great. Well, um, to kind of finish up here, we've had a lot of questions uh, from people that um, might be taking trips to Colorado, even short trips. And I know you kind of specialize in servicing those people as far as guide service. But uh, Royce um, in uh, Marysville, Washington, is thinking about coming out with his son. Uh, and uh, Joe plans to visit in early June. Travis uh, wants to know if you recommend a guide for the first time uh, to Colorado. Can, can you kind of give them some advice coming out here, not knowing and, and wanting to fish the plat, where they might go and whether they should use a guide? I think it's a good idea to to always use a guide, and 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 people ask me that all the time. They they want to know if I use a guide, and and uh, when I when I go to British Columbia or um, you know I'm going to go to North Carolina next week, and I always use a guide because there's nothing like having somebody that's been on the water, knows what's going on, where the fish are going to be, and it's it's just uh, it's just it's a learning experience. It just cuts the learning curve down to to a shorter period of time and then you know you can hire a guide for a day and then you can go out on your own for a couple of days and I, th I think that's a good good way to approach it. Is there any particular place you'd direct newcomers uh, coming into town for just short stays? What part of the river you'd take them? Well I, you know um, I think right now Deckers is probably uh, the most forgiving um, stretch um, certainly um, they're all good, um, and it just really depends. I think, you know, um, Deckers would probably be good for kids. Um, it's easy access. Um, you know, you can get in and out with, with no problem. Of course, Cheeseman involved the hike and, and you know, 11-mile spinny or, or, or further road trips. But uh, I think, you know, Deckers, is, Deckers makes sense. It's, it's a great fishery. It's close to... Colorado Springs. It's close to um, the Denver metropolitan area, so there's good restaurants and, and good places uh, for people to stay. They can stay in Evergreen as well, and it's only an hour away, so there's a lot of great options. Great. Well, and, and a lot of people are wondering, if you had one fly you could use and one time a year you could fish on the South Platte, what would they be? There's, there's no doubt that if I had to choose one fly, it would be the RS2. Um, it's, it's just a great fly, and, it, and having to only 
fish that one fly. I mean, you could do a lot of things with it. I mean, you could you can dredge it deep. Um, you can fish it, you know, in the middle part of the water column uh, with with a size six split shot. Um, you can cut the tail off, and it, it could be a midge emerger. Uh, you could grease it and fish it in the film as a mayfly emerger. I mean, boy, you could do all kinds of things. Um, and I guess if I had to pick a particular time of year, it would, it would definitely be that first week or two in May, just because um, the fish and, and my buddies and I, we've dubbed that period of time the stupid period, just because, you know, they, they're coming out of the winter doldrums, those fish, and the, there's all of a sudden the water temperatures warm up and there's an abundance amount of food, so the fish really actually are kind of easy to catch for a while, which is not a common characteristic on the South Platte. <laughs> well, Pat, unfortunately we're running out of time here and we have to wrap things up, but I wanted to give folks a, a couple of resources that I think they'll find handy. One, again, is I've, I've got to plug your book for you because it's one of the best books I've seen on fly fishing a river, I think, I think in years. Um, and, folks, that's a Fly Fisher's Guide to the South Platte River. And you can go to uh, um, the Blue Quill Angler site that we gave you earlier. And why don't you give that site again, Pat? www.bluequillangler. Com. And you can you can uh, find an order page on that uh, site for his book. Uh, it is going into another printing, and they have limited supplies right now, but uh, there'll be more on the way. It's, it's something you want to get. And all the patterns we've talked about, Pat's talked about, are in the back of that book, uh, detailed out with the recipes. So everything you need to know is right there. I, I just can't help it, Pat. You've got a great book. So. Yeah, thank but, you. Um, the other, the other resource that I found um, is available from uh, Shook Book Publishing, and it's a uh, South Platte River fishing map, and pretty detailed, shows all the areas we've just talked about, so that would be, I think, indispensable, especially for a newcomer into the area. And you can find that on um, www.flyfishguides.com, www.flyfishguides.com, plus they've got maps of all kinds of other places. So. There's another shameless plug for, for uh, one of the people that's doing great work out there in the way of mapping. Well, um, we've got to finish up here. When we return, we're going to be drawing for one year's subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine and for two pairs of tickets to the ISE event. So stay tuned to see if you win. Attention fly fishers. Are you aware of the proposed Pebble Mine Project in southwest Alaska? This enormous open pit could generate as much as $3 billion tons of waste in a seismic area with some of the most important trout and Pacific salmon fisheries in all of Alaska, or the world for that matter. The well-being of Lake Iliamna and the entire Bristol Bay area waters may be at stake. If you have not already, acquaint yourself with the concerns and you can make a difference. The ramifications reach far beyond fly fishing. Go to www.fedflyfishers.org slash conservation.php or www.tu.org slash Bristol Bay or just Google Bristol Bay Mining for starters. And if you know of other conservation issues, please bring them to our attention at info at askaboutflyfishing.com. In the future, we'll be presenting special editions on our website which deal with these topics. Get involved, be proactive, help protect our environment and the future of fly fishing. From the Global Events Calendar, here's an event I'd like to attend, Roger. You'll have to catch this one for me since I'm up here by Bozeman. 
I will. The West Denver chapter of Trout Unlimited is holding their fly fishing clinic this Saturday, February 10th, at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds from 8.30 in the morning until 3 p.m. They have literally dozens of skilled tires signed up to demonstrate, many of whom have national and international reputations. You'll be seeing Pat Dorsey as one of the featured tires. You can pick up discount tickets at Denver area fly shops. Just go to the global events calendar. Uh, the link is on the bottom of our page on every website. Look under Colorado for more information. And we'll be highlighting one event from the calendar on each of our shows. Now, fly fishers and clubs, you can all list all your fly fishing related events on our global events calendar. It's free. You do it yourself. Go to the events calendar and get started. And get your events out there for everyone to see. Classes, demos, clinics, shows, schools, anything related to fly fishing. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in, in the section on tonight's show that says, what do you think of this show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd sure appreciate it. Now it's time to give away a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion, a premier fly fishing magazine, and two pairs of tickets to the ISE shows, the International Sportsman's Exposition. The winners for the drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late, but make sure you do so for the next show. You don't want to miss out on all the chances for the incredible prizes we have to offer. If you're the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with the information on how to receive your gift. So here it goes. The first thing we're going to pick uh, here, Don, is for the um, uh, subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine. So let me press Fly the magazine. next button. And I've got Dale Frame in Ohio. So Dale Frame from Ohio will get a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine. Congratulations, for, Dale. You'll enjoy that. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that uh, want to find out more about Fly Fusion Magazine, you can go to flyfusion.com and find out about the magazine. And uh, it's a little different magazine. Deals, deals with more techniques than destinations. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, now the second winner, and this is for a pair of tickets to the ISE shows. I'll press the magic button. And Craig Moritz, Craig Moritz, I should say, Craig Moritz. And that's, Craig's in Arizona. So there is a show in Arizona, an ISE show coming up. So you want to make sure you can attend that, Craig. And the second winner is Charles... Muchmore, Charles Muchmore, and uh, he's also in Arizona, so hopefully both those uh, gentlemen can attend the ISC show in Arizona. Well, congratulations to all, all three of you. Uh, Pat, uh, I'll tell you, we really appreciate you being on the show tonight. Uh, there was an awful lot of material to cover, and uh, probably due to limitations of time, we didn't do it as much justice as we might, but I think Roger's right. I think your, your book is uh, just a, a monster resource for anyone interested in fishing that water. At any rate, uh, thanks very much for taking time to share your experience and knowledge with us, and uh, we hope there might be an occasion where you can join us again in the future. Thank you. Well, thanks, uh, Pat. Glad you could make it through. <laughs> I hope your voice yeah, will voice. recover. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, on our next broadcast will be on uh, uh, February 21st at 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern. On that show, we're going to interview Ken Hanley. And our topic for the show will be Fly Fishing California's Inshore. 
The bays, estuaries, and beaches that rim the California coast offer some of the best fly fishing opportunities to be found anywhere in the world, but not without their own unique set of challenges and demands. Join Ken Hanley to learn the secrets of fly fishing this extraordinary coast. We would like to thank the R.L. Winston Rod Company, Wright Bobbins, International Sportsman's Expositions, and the Federation of Fly Fishers for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. And feel free to explore the other areas of our site, like the events calendar and the directories. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.